Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 1 through 2 of our new book, The Blood of Olympus. Thank you guys for all your wishes and your questions, and I will be getting to them in my Q&A session later on in this episode. And I do know that some of you guys simply want to listen to my analysis of the episode and not the Q&A session, which is very understandable. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that it will be quite a long Q&A session. So as soon as I'm done with my analysis, you are free to end the episode. Just wanted to let you guys know beforehand so that, you know, for the people that do want to stick around, stick around. Thank you very much. And the people who don't, no pressure. So now moving on to our recap, we ended off with Reyna coming in unexpectedly offering as a source of help, if I do remember correctly. And she offered to take the Athena Parthenos in order to ease some of the effort and stress on Percy and Annabeth. And as they were sailing in their Argo II, they brought up beautiful memories of Domison, Bob, and Bob the Small Cat. So now we're going to read Chapter 1 from Jason's perspective and see how this is going to go. So Chapter 1, Jason. Jason hated being old. His joints hurt, his legs shook, As he tried to climb the hill, his lungs rattled like a box of rocks. He couldn't see his face, thank goodness, but his fingers were gnarled and bony. Bulging blue veins webbed the backs of his hands. He even had that old man smell, mothballs and chicken soup. How was that possible? He'd gone from 16 to 75 in a matter of seconds, but the old man's smell happened instantly. Like, boom, congratulations, you stink. Almost there. Piper smiled at him. You're doing great. Easy for her to say. Piper and Annabeth were disguised as lovely Greek-serving maidens. Even in their white sleeveless gowns and lace sandals, they had no trouble navigating the rocky path. Piper's mahogany hair was pinned up in a bride-braided spiral. Silver bracelets adorned her arms. She resembled an ancient statue of her mom, Aphrodite, which Jason found a little intimidating. Dating a beautiful girl was nerve-wracking enough. Dating a girl whose mom was the goddess of love. Well, Jason was always afraid he'd do something unromantic. And Piper's mom would frown down from Mount Olympus and change him into a feral hog. Jason glanced uphill. The summit was still a hundred yards above. Worst idea ever. He leaned against a cedar tree and wiped his forehead. Hazel's magic is too good. If I have to fight, I'll be useless. It won't come to that, Annabeth promised. She looked uncomfortable in her servant-maiden outfit. She kept hunching her shoulders to keep the dress from slipping. Her pinned-up blonde bun had come undone in the back, and her hair dangled like long spider legs. Knowing her hatred of spiders, Jason decided not to mention that. We infiltrate the palace, she said. We get the information we need, and we get out. Piper set down her amphora the tall ceramic wine jar in which her sword was hidden. We can rest for a second. Catch your breath, Jason. From her waist cord hung her cornucopia, the magic horn of plenty. Tucked somewhere in the folds of her dress was her knife, Catoptrus. Piper didn't look dangerous, but if they need, the need arose, she could dual-wield celestial bronze blades or shoot her enemies in the face with ripe mangoes. Ambit slung her own amphora off her shoulder. She too had a concealed sword, but even without an invisible weapon, she looked deadly. Her stormy gray eyes scanned the surroundings, alert for any threat. If any dude asked Annabeth for a drink, Jason figured she was more likely to kick the guy in the bifurcum. He tried to steady his breathing. Below them, Athelie's Bay glittered. The water so blue it might have been dyed with food coloring. A few hundred yards offshore, the Argo II rested at anchor. Its white sails looked no bigger than postage stamps. Its 90 oars looked like toothpicks. Jason imagined his friends on deck following his progress, taking turns with Leo's spyglass, trying not to laugh as they watched Grandpa Jason hobble uphill. Stupid Ithaca, he muttered. He supposed the island was pretty enough. A spine of forested hills twisted down its center, chalky white slopes plunged into the sea, inlets formed rocky beaches and harbors where red-roofed houses and white stuccoed churches nestled against the shoreline. The hills were dotted with poppies. 
crocuses and wild cherry trees. The breeze smelled of blooming myrtle. All very nice, except the temperature was about 105 degrees. The air was as steamy as a Roman bathhouse. It would have been easy for Jason to control the winds and fly to the top of the hill. But no. For the sake of stealth, he had to struggle along as an old dude with bad knees and chickens to sink. He thought about his last climb. Two weeks ago when Hazel and he faced the bandit Skyron on the cliffs of Croatia. At least then, Jason had been at full strength. What they were about to face would be much worse than a bandit. You sure this is the right hill? He asked. Seems kind of... I don't know. Quiet. Piper studied the ridgeline. Braided in her hair was a bright blue harpy feather. A souvenir from last night's attack. The feather didn't exactly go with her disguise, but Piper had earned it, defeating an entire flock of demon chicken ladies by herself while she was on duty. She downplayed the accomplishment, but Jason could tell she felt good about it. The feather was a reminder that she wasn't the same girl she'd been last winter when they first arrived at Camp Half-Blood. The ruins are up there, she promised. I saw them in Catoptrus's blade, and you heard what Hazel said. The biggest, the biggest gathering of evil spirits I've ever sensed. Jason recalled. Yeah, sounds awesome. After battling through the underground temple of Hades, the last thing Jason wanted was to deal with more evil spirits. But the fate of the quest was at stake. The crew of the Argo II had a big decision to make. If they chose wrong, they would fail, and the entire world would be destroyed. Piper's blade, Hazel's magical senses, and Annabeth's instincts all agreed. The answer lay here in Ithaca, at the ancient palace of Odysseus. Where a horde of evil spirits had gathered to await Gaia's orders. The plan was to sneak among them, learn what was going on, and decide the best course of action. Then get out. Preferably alive. Annabeth readjusted her golden belt. <sighs> I hope our disguises hold up. The suitors were nasty customers when they were alive. If they find out we're demigods, Hazel's magic will work, Piper said. Jason tried to believe that. The suitors, a hundred of the greediest, evil cutthroats who'd ever lived. When Odysseus, the Greek, Greek king of Ithaca, went missing after the Trojan War, this mob of B-list princesses princes, had invaded his palace and refused to leave, each one hoping to marry Queen Penelope and take over the kingdom. Odysseus managed to return in secret and slaughter, slaughter them all. Your basic happy homecoming. But if Piper's visions were right, the suitors were now back, haunting the place where they died. Jason couldn't believe he was about to visit the actual palace of Odysseus, one of the most famous Greek heroes of all time. Then again, this whole quest had been one mind-blowing event after another, and Beth herself had just come back from the eternal abyss of Tartarus. Given that, Jason decided maybe he shouldn't complain about being an old man. Well, he studied himself with his walking stick. If I look as old as I feel, my disguise must be perfect. Let's get going. As they climbed, sweat trickled down his neck. His calves ached. Despite the heat, he began to shiver, and try as he might, he couldn't stop thinking about his recent dreams. Ever since the House of Hades, they'd gotten more vivid. Sometimes Jason stood in the underground temple of Epirus, the giant Clidius looming over him, speaking in a chorus of disembodied voices. It took all of you together to defeat me. What will you do when the Earth Mother opens her eyes? Other times, Jason found himself at the crest of Half-Blood Hill. Gaia, the Earth Mother, rose from the ground, a swirling figure of soil, leaves, and stones. Poor child. Her voice resonated across the landscape, shaking the bedrock under Jason's feet. Your father is the first among the gods, yet you are always second best to your Roman comrades, to your Greek friends, even to your family. How will you prove yourself? His worst dream had started in the courtyard of the Sonoma Wilf House. Before him stood the goddess Juno, glowing with the radiance of molten silver. Your life belongs to me, her voice thundered. An appeasement from Zeus. Jason knew he shouldn't look, but he couldn't close his eyes as Juno went supernova, revealing her true godly form. Pain seared Jason's mind, his body burned away in layers like an onion. Then the scene changed. Jason was still at the wolf house, but now he was a little boy, no more than two years old. A woman knelt before him, her lemony scent so familiar, her features were watery and indistinct. 
but he knew her voice, bright and brittle, like the thinnest layer of ice cream over a fast stream. I will be back for you, dearest, she said. I will see you soon. Every time Jason woke up from the nightmare, his face was beaded with sweat, his eyes stung with tears. Nico D'Angelo had warned them. The House of Hades would stir their worst memories, making them see things and hear things from the past. Their ghosts would become relentless. Jason had hoped that particular ghost would stay away, but every night the dream got worse. Now he was climbing to the ruins of a palace where an army of ghosts had gathered. That doesn't mean she'll be there, Jason told himself. But his hands wouldn't stop trembling. Every step seemed harder than the last. Almost there, Annabeth said. Let's boom! The hillside rumbled. Somewhere over the ridge, a crowd roared in approval like spectators in a coliseum. The sound made Jason's skin crawl. Not so long ago, he'd fought for his life in the Roman Coliseum before a cheering, ghostly audience. He wasn't anxious to repeat the experience. What was the explosion? He wondered. Don't know, Piper said. But it sounds like they're having fun. Let's go make some dead friends. And that's the end of chapter one. What an interesting and fascinating way to start off this book. I must say that this definitely... There is a little bit of confusion when I was first reading it. I, as I was reading it, I was a little bit confused at first because I was, you know, why are Annabeth and Piper dressed up and why is Jason the only one there? Where's Percy? Where's, you know, where's Leo? Where's Frank? Where's Hazel? You know, all, all where's the rest of the um, group mates? So that left me wondering what exactly is happening. Maybe they have some kind of plan um, where they split up again, just like how they did uh, back in uh, back in Rome, I believe. So it's going to be interesting to see what exactly, how exactly this plan is going to go out, and will it become, will it be as successful as they're hoping for, as we're hoping for? We'll have to see. So after the break, we will read chapter two, Jason, and we'll see you then. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back from the break. Now we're going to read chapter two, Jason. Naturally, the situation was worse than Jason expected. It wouldn't have been any fun otherwise. Peering through the olive bushes at the top of the rise, he saw what looked like an out-of-control zombie frat party. The ruins themselves weren't that impressive. A few stone walls, a weed-choked central courtyard, a dead-end stairwell chiseled into the rock, some plywood sheets covered a pit, and a metal scaffold supported a cracked archway. But superimposed over the ruins was another layer of reality, a spectral mirage of the palace as it must have appeared in its heyday. Whitewashed stucco walls lined with balconies rose three stories high. Columned por porticos faced the central atrium, which had a huge fountain and bronze braziers. At a dozen banquet tables, ghouls laughed and ate and pushed one another around. Jason had expected about a hundred spirits, but twice that many were milling about, chasing spe spectral serving girls, smashing plates and cups, and basically making a nuisance of themselves. Most look like layers from Camp Jupiter, transparent purple wraiths in tunics and sandals. A few revelers had decayed bodies with gray flesh, matted clumps of hair, and nasty wounds. Others seemed to be regular living mortals, some in togas, some in modern business suits or army fatigues. Jason even spotted one guy in a purple Camp Jupiter t-shirt and Roman legionnaire armor. 
In the center of the atrium, a gray-skinned ghoul in a tattered Greek tunic paraded over through the crowd, holding a marble bust over his head like a sports trophy. The other ghosts cheered and slapped him on the back as the ghoul got closer. Jason noticed that he had an arrow in his throat. The feathered shaft sprouted from his Adam's apple, even more disturbing the bust he was holding. Was that Zeus? It was hard to be sure. Most Greek god statues look similar, but the bearded, glowing face reminded Jason very much of the giant hippie Zeus in Cabin 1 at Camp Half-Blood. Our next offering, the ghoul shouted, his voice buzzing from the arrow in his throat. Let us feed the Earth Mother! The partiers yelled and pounded their cups. The ghoul made his way to the central fountain. The crowd parted, and Jason realized the fountain wasn't filled with water. From the three-foot pedestal, a geyser of sand spewed upward, arching into an umbrella-shaped curtain of white particles before spilling into the circular basin. The ghoul heaved the marble bust into the fountain. As soon as Zeus's head passed through the shower of sand, the marble disintegrated like it was going through a wood chipper. The sand glittered gold, the color of ichor, godly blood. Then the entire mountain rumbled with a muffled boom, as of belching after a meal. The dead partygoers roared with approval. Any more statues? The ghoul, sh- the ghoul shouted to the crowd. No? Then I guess we'll have to wait for some real gods to sacrifice. His comrades laughed and applauded as a ghoul paw- plopped himself down at the nearest feast table. Jason clenched his walking stick. That guy just disintegrated my dad. Who does he think he is? I'm guessing that's Antinous, said Animeth, one of the suitor's leaders. If I remember right, it's it was Odysseus who shot him through the neck with that arrow. Piper wince. Ooh, you think that would keep a guy down? What about all the others? Why are there so many? I don't know, Annabeth said. Newer recruits for Gaia, I guess? Some must have come back to life before we closed the doors of death. Some are just spirits. Some are ghouls, Jason said. The ones with the gaping wounds and the gray skin, like Antinous. I fought their kind before. Piper tugged at her blue harpy feather. Can they be killed? Jason remembered a quest he'd taken for Camp Jupiter years ago in San Bernardino. Not easily. They're strong and fast and intelligent. Also, they eat human flesh. Fantastic, Annabeth muttered. I don't see any option except to stick to the plan. Split up, infiltrate, find out why they're here. If things go bad, we use the backup plan, Piper said. Jason hated the backup plan. Before they left the ship, Leo had given each of them an emergency flare the size of a birthday candle. Supposedly, if they tossed one in the air, it would shoot upward in a streak of white phosphorus, alerting the Argo II that the team was in trouble. At that point, Jason and the girls would have a few seconds to take cover before the ship's catapults fired on their position, engulfing the palace in Greek fire and bursts of celestial bronze shrapnel. Not the safest plan, but at least Jason had the satisfaction of knowing that he could call an airstrike on these noisy mob of dead guys if the situation got dicey. Of course, that was assuming he and his friends could get away, and assuming Leo's doomsday candles didn't go off by accident. Leo's inventions sometimes did that, in which case the weather would get much hotter with a 90% chance of fiery apocalypse. Be careful down there, he told Piper and Annabeth. Piper crept around the left side of the ridge, Annabeth went right, Jason pulled himself up with his walking stick and hobbled toward the ruins. He flashed back to the last time he'd plunged into a mob of evil spirits in the House of Hades. If it hadn't been for Frank Zhang and Nico D'Angelo. Gods. Nico. Over the past few days, every time Jason sacrificed a portion of a meal to Jupiter, he prayed to his dad to help Nico. That kid had gone through so much, and yet he had volunteered for the most difficult job. Transporting the Athena Parthenos statue to Camp Half-Blood. If he didn't succeed, the Roman and Greek demigods would slaughter each other. Then, no matter what happened in Greece, the Argo II would have no home to return to. Jason passed through the palace's ghostly gateway. He realized just in time that a section of mosaic floor in front of him was an illusion, covering a ten-foot-deep excavation pit. He sidestepped it and continued into the courtyard. The two levels of reality reminded him of the Titan's stronghold on Mount Othreus, 
a disorienting maze of black marble walls that randomly melted into shadow and solidified again. At least during that fight, Jason had had a hundred legionnaires at his side. Now all he had was an old man's body, a stick, and two friends in slinky dresses. Forty feet ahead of him, Piper moved through the crowd, smiling and filling wine glasses for the ghostly revelers. If she was afraid, she didn't show it. So far, the ghosts weren't paying her any special attention. Hazel's magic must have been working. Over on the right, Annabeth collected empty plates and goblets. She wasn't smiling. Jason remembered the talk he'd had with Percy before leaving the ship. Percy had stayed aboard to watch for threats from the sea, but he didn't, hadn't liked the idea of Annabeth going on this expedition without him, especially since it would be the first time they were apart since returning from Tartarus. He pulled Jason aside. Hey, man. Annabeth would kill me if I suggested she needed anybody to protect her. Jason laughed. <laughs> yeah, she would. But look out for her. Okay. Jason squeezed his friend's shoulder. I'll make sure she, get back, she gets back to you safely. Now Jason wondered if he could keep that promise. He reached the edge of the crowd. A raspy voice cried, Iros! Antonus, the ghoul with the arrow in his throat, was staring right at him. Is that you, you old beggar? Hazel's magic did its work. Cold air rippled across Jason's face as the mist subtly altered his appearance, showing the suitors what they expected to see. That's me, Jason said. I rose. A dozen more ghosts turned toward him. Some scowled and gripped the hilts of their glowing purple swords. Too late. Jason wondered if Iros was an enemy of theirs, but he'd already committed to the part. He hobbled forward, putting on his best cranky old man expression. Guess I'm too late to the party. I hope you saved me some food. One of the old ghosts sneered in disgust. Ungrateful old panhandler. Should I kill him, Antonus? Jason's neck muscles tightened. Antonus regarded him for a three count, then chuckled. <laughs> I'm in a grid mood today. Come, Iros, join me at my table. Jason didn't have much choice. He sat across from Antonus while more ghosts crowded around, leering as if they expected to see a particularly vicious arm wrestling contest. Up close, Antonus's eyes were solid yellow. His lips stretched paper-thin over wolfish teeth. At first, Jason thought the ghoul's curly, dark hair was disintegrating. Then he realized a steady stream of dirt was trickling from Antidus's scalp, spilling over his shoulders. Clods of mud filled the old sword gashes in the ghoul's gray skin. More dirt spilled from the base of the arrow wound in his throat. The power of Gaia, Jason thought. The earth is holding this guy together. Antonus slid a golden goblet and a platter of food across the table. I didn't expect to see you all year, Iros, but I suppose even a beggar can sue for retribution. Drink! Eat! Thick red liquid sloshed in the goblet. On the plate sat a steaming brown lump of mystery meat. Jason's stomach rebelled. rebelled. Even if ghoul food didn't kill him, his vegetarian girlfriend probably wouldn't kiss him for a month. He recalled what notice the south wind had told him. A wind that blows aimlessly is no good to know anyone. Jason's entire career at Camp Jupiter had been built on careful choices. He mediated between demigods, listens to all sides of an argument, found compromises, even when he chafed against Roman traditions he thought before he acted. He wasn't impulsive. Notice had warned him that such hesitation would kill him. Jason had to stop deliberating and take what he wanted. If he was an ungrateful beggar, he had to act like one. He ripped off a chunk of meat with his fingers and stuffed it in his mouth. He guzzled some red liquid, which thankfully tasted like watered-down wine, not blood or poison. Jason fought the urge to gag, but he didn't need keel over or explode. Yum! He wiped his mouth. Now tell me about this. What do you call it? Retribution? Where do I sign up? The ghost laughed. One pushed his shoulder and Jason was alarmed that he could actually feel it. At Camp Jupiter, lairs had no physical substance. Apparently, these spirits did, which meant more enemies who could beat, stab, or decapitate him. Antonus lay and leaned forward. Tell me, Eros. Iros, what do you have to offer? We don't need you to run messages for us like in the old days. Certainly, you aren't a fighter. As I recall, Odysseus crushed your jaw and tossed you into the pigsty. Jason's neurons fired. 
Iros, the old man who'd run messages for the suitors in exchange for scraps of food. Iros had been sort of like their pet homeless person. When Odysseus came home disguised as a beggar, Iros thought the new guy was moving in on his territory. The two wits started arguing. You made Iros... Jason hesitated. You made me fight Odysseus? You bet money on it. Even when Odysseus took off his shirt and you saw how muscular he was, you still made me fight him. You didn't care if I lived or died. Antinous bared his pointed teeth. Of course I didn't care. I still don't. But you're here, so Gaia must have a reason to allow you back into the mortal world. Tell me, why are you worthy of a share in our spoils? What spoils? Antinous spread his hands. The entire world, my friend. The first time we met here, we were only after Odysseus's land, his money, and his wife. Especially his wife. A bald ghost in ragged clothes elbowed Jason in the ribs. That Penelope was a hot little honey cake. Jason caught a glimpse of Piper serving drinks at the next table. She discreetly put her finger to her mouth in a gag-me gesture, then went back to flirting with dead guys. Antinous sneered. Eurymachus, you whining coward, you never stood a chance with Penelope. I remember you blubbering and pleading for your life with Odysseus, blaming everything on me. Lot of it good, lot of good it did me. Eurymachus, Eurymachus lifted his tattered shirt, revealing an inch-wide hole in the middle of his spectral chest. Odysseus shot me in the heart just because I wanted to marry his wife. At any rate, Antinous turned to Jason. We have gathered now for a much bigger prize. Once Gaia destroys the gods, we will divide up the remnants of the mortal world. Dibs on London, yelled a ghoul at the next table. Montreal, shouted another. Duluth! Yelled another, yelled a third, which momentarily stopped the conversation as the other ghosts came to him confused looks. The meat and wine turned to lead in Jason's stomach. What about the rest of these guests? I count at least 200. Half of them are new to me. Antonus's yellow eyes gleamed. All of them are suitors for Gaia's favor. All have claims and grievances against the gods or their pet heroes. That scoundrel over there is Hippias, former tyrant of Athens. He had deposed and sided with the Persians to attack his own countrymen. No morals whatsoever. He'd do anything for power. Thank you, called Hippias. That rogue with a turkey leg in his mouth, Antinous continued. That's Hasdrubal of Carthage. He has a grudge to settle with Rome. <clears throat> said the Carthaginian. And Michael Verus, Jason choked. <coughs> Who? Over by the sand fountain, the dark-haired guy in the purple shirt and legionnaire armor turned to face them. His outline was blurred, smoky, and indistinct, so Jason guessed he was some form of spirit. The Delesian tattoo on his forearm was clear enough. SPQR, the double-faced head of the god Janus, and six score marks for years of service. On his breastplate hung the badge of praetorship and the emblem of the fifth cohort. Jason had never met Michael Verus. Uh, the infamous Praetor had died in the 1980s. Still, Jason's skin crawled when he met Verus's gaze. Those sunken eyes seemed to bore right through Jason's disguise. Antinous waved dismissively. He's a Roman demigod. Lost his legions all eagle in Alaska, was it? Doesn't matter. Gale lets him hang around. He insists he has some insights into defeating Cap Jupiter. But you, Iros... You still haven't answered my question. Why should you be welcome among us? Verus's dead eyes had unnerved Jason. He could feel the mist thinning around him, reacting to his uncertainty. Suddenly, Annabeth appeared at Antinous's shoulder. More wine, my lord. Oops! She spilled the contents of a silver pitcher down the back of Antinous's neck. Gah! The ghoul arched his spine. Foolish girl! Who let you back from Tartarus? A titan, my lord. Amba dipped her head apologetically. May I bring you some moist towelettes? Your arrow is dripping. Be gone! Amba caught Jason's eye. A silent message of support. Then she disappeared in the crowd. The ghoul wiped himself off, giving Jason a chance to collect his thoughts. He was... Iros. Former messenger of the suitors. Why would he be here? Why should they accept him? 
He picked up the nearest steak knife and stabbed it into the table, making the ghost around him jump. Why should you welcome me? Jason growled. Because I'm still running messages, you stupid wretches. I've just come from the House of Hades to see what you're up to. That last part was true, and it seemed to give Antonus pause. The ghoul glared and wine still dripping from the arrow shaft in his throat. You expect me to believe Gaius and you, a beggar, to check upon us? Jason laughed. Ha ha ha! I was among the last to leave Epirus before the doors of death were closed. I saw the chamber where Clidius stood guard under a domed ceiling tiled with tombstones. I walked the jewel and bone floors of the Necromantion. That was also true. Around the table, ghosts shifted and muttered. So, Antonus. Jason jabbed a finger at the ghoul. Maybe you should explain to me why you're worthy of Gaia's favor. All I see is a crowd of lazy, dawdling dead folk enjoying themselves and not helping the war effort. What should I tell the Earth Mother? From the corner of his eye, Jason saw Piper flash him an approving smile. Then she returned her attention to a glowing purple Greek dude who was trying to make her sit on his lap. Antonus wrapped his hand around the steak knife Jason had impaled in the table. He pulled it free and studied the blade. If you come from Gaia, you must know we are here under orders. Porphyria decreed it. Antonus ran the knife blade across his palm instead of blood of dry dirt spilled from the cut. You do know Porphyrian. Jason struggled to keep his nausea under control. He remembered Porphyrian just fine from their portal at from their battle at the wolf house. The giant king, green skin, forty feet tall, white eyes, hair braided with weapons. Of course I know him. He's a lot more impressive than you. He decided not to mention the last time he'd seen the giant king. Jason had blasted him in the head with lightning. For once, Antonus looked speechless, but his bald ghost friend Eurymachus, Eurymachus put an arm around Jason's shoulders. Now, now, friend! Eurymachus smelled like sour wine and burning electrical wires. His ghostly touch made Jason's ribcage tingle. I'm sure we didn't mean to question your credentials. It's just, well, if you've spoken to Porphyrian in Athens, you know why we're here. I assure you, you were doing exactly as he ordered. Jason tried to mask his surprise. Porphyrian in Athens. Gaia had promised to pull up the gods by their roots. Chiron, Jason's mentor at Camp Halfblood, had assumed that meant that the giants would try to ruse the earth goddess at the original Mount Olympus. But now, the Acropolis, Jason said. The most ancient temples to the gods in the middle of Athens. That's where Gaia will wake. Of course! Eurymachus laughed. The wound in his chest made a popping sound like a porpoise's blowhole. And to get there, those meddlesome demigods will have to travel by sea, eh? They know it's too dangerous to fly over land. Which means they'll have to pass this island, Jason said. Eurymachus nodded eagerly. He removed his arm from Jason's shoulder and dipped his finger in his wine glass. At that point, they'll have to make a choice, eh? On the top, on the tabletop, he traced a coastline. Red wine glowing unnaturally against the wood. He drew grease like a misshapen hourglass, a large dangly blob for the northern mainland. Then another blob below it, almost as large. The big chunk of land known as a Peloponnese. Cutting between them was a narrow line of sea, the Straits of Corinth. Jason hardly needed a picture. He and the rest of the crew had spent the last day at sea studying maps. The most direct route, Eurymachus said would be due east from here, across the Straits of Corinth, but if they try to go that way... Enough! Antonus snapped. You have a loose tongue, Eurymachus. The ghost looked offended. I wasn't going to tell him everything, just about the Cyclops armies massed on either shore and the raging storm spirits in the air, and those vicious sea monsters Keto sent to infest the waters, and of course if the ship got as far as Delphi. Idiot! Antonus lunged across the table and grabbed the ghost's wrist. A thin crust of dirt spread from the ghoul's hand straight up from Eurymachus's spectral arm. No! Eurymachus yelped. Please, I only... I only meant... The ghost screamed as the dirt covered his body like a shell, then cracked apart, leaving a nothing but a pile of dust. Eurymachus was gone. Andenus sat back and brushed off his hands. The other suitors at the table watched him in wary silence. Apologies, Iros. The ghoul smiled coldly. All you need to know, the ways to Athens are well guarded just as we promised. 
The demigods would either have to risk the straits which are impossible or sail around the entire Peloponnese, which is hardly much safer. In any event, it's unlikely they will survive long enough to make that choice. Once they reach Ithaca, we will know. We will stop them here, and Gaia will see how valuable we are. You can take that message back to Athens. Jason's heart hammered against his entire sternum. He'd never seen anything like the shell of the earth that Antinous had summoned to destroy Eurymachus. He didn't want to find out if that power worked on demigods. Also, Antinous sounded confident that he could detect the Argo II. Hazel's magic seemed to be obscuring the ship so far, but there was no telling how long that would last. Jason had the intel they'd come for. Their goal was Athens. The safer route, or at least the not impossible route, was around the southern coast. Today was July 20th. They only had 12 days before Gaia planned to wake. On August 1st, the ancient feast of hope. Jason and his friends needed to leave while they had the chance, but something else bothered him. A cold sense of foreboding as if he hadn't heard the worst news yet. Eurymachus had mentioned Delphi. Jason had secretly hoped to visit the ancient site of Apollo's oracle, maybe get some insight into his personal future, but if the place had been overrun by monsters, he pushed aside his plate of cold food. Sounds like everything is under control. For your sake, Antinous, I hope so. These demigods are resourceful. They close the doors of death. We want them sneaking past you, perhaps getting help from Delphi. Antinous chuckled. No risk in that. Delphi is no longer in Apollo's control. I... I see. And if the demigods sailed a long way around the Peloponnese? You worry too much. That journey's never safe for demigods, and it's much too far. Besides, victory runs rampant in Olympia. As long as that's the case, there's no way the demigods can win this war. Jason didn't understand what that meant either, but he nodded. Very well. I will report as much to King Porphyrian. Thank you for the... er... meal. Over at the Mount of Fountain, Michael Varys called... Wait. Jason bit back a curse. He'd been trying to ignore the dead praetor, but now Varus walked over, surrounded in a hazy white aura. His deep-set eyes, like sinkholes at his side, hung an imperial gold gladius. You must stay, Varus said. Antinous shot the ghost an irritated look. What's the problem, legionnaire? If Iros wants to leave, let him be. He smells bad. The other ghost laughed nervously. Across the courtyard, Piper shot Jason a worried glance. A little farther, a little farther away, Annabeth casually palmed a carving knife from the nearest platter of meat. Varus rested his hand on the pommel of his sword, despite the heat his breastplate was glazed with ice. I lost my cohort twice in Alaska, once in life, once in death to a Gracchus named Percy Jackson. Still, I have come here to answer Gaia's call. Do you know why? Jason swallowed. Stubbornness? This is a place of longing, Verus said. All of us are drawn here, sustained not only by Gaia's power, but also by our strongest desires, Eurymachus's greed and Nu's cruelty. You flatter me, the ghoul muttered. As Drubal's hatred, Verus continued, Hippias's bitterness, my ambition, and you, Iros, what has drawn you here? What does a beggar most desire? Perhaps a home? An uncomfortable tingle started at the base of Jason's skull. The same feeling he got when a huge electrical storm was about to break. I should be going, he said. Messages to carry. Michael Verus drew his sword. My father is Janus, the god of two faces. I'm used to seeing through masks and deceptions. Do you know, Iros, why we are so unsure the demigods will not pass our island undetected? Jason silently ran through his repertoire of Latin cuss words. He tried to calculate how long it would take him to get out of his emergency flare and fire it. Hopefully he could buy enough time for the girls to find shelter before this mob of dead guys slaughtered him. He turned to Antinous. Look, are you in charge here or not? Maybe you should muzzle your Roman. The ghoul took a deep breath. The arrow rattled in his throat. Ah, this might, but this might be entertaining. Go on, Varus. The dead praetor raised his sword. Our desires reveal us. They show us for who we really are. Someone has come for you, Jason Grace. Behind Varus, the crowd parted. The shimmering ghost of a woman drifted forward, and Jason felt as if his bones were turning to dust. My dearest, said his mother's ghost. 
you have come home. And that's the end of chapter two. Wow. Well, that was definitely a very shocking plot twist, if I must say the least. Overall, a very wonderful chapter. But now it's going to be extremely interesting to see because it's it's very it's very fascinating to see how you know we see past roman demigods and past greek demigods and suddenly after after you know they're gone they're dead some of them turn into the turn into supporting these monsters and it's very fascinating to see because you know it seems like they are they you could really see that Within them, there was more of an obligation than rather a sense of duty, if that makes sense. These demigods, I, 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 the way it sounds like, especially with Michael Verus, is that they, after the incident as such as losing the eagle for the lesion, moments like those are suddenly completely, you know, they, they ruin the entire motivation for these demigods. You know, once uh, it's like almost like once something like that happens, they have they, they start questioning, why am I even here in the first place? You know, do I even deserve to be a demigod? Am I just, a sh- you know, shaming my parents that, you know, one of them's a god. I'm shaming a god and the other one is just a regular mortal who just wanted me to be safe. So it's very fascinating to see how so many demigods turn towards the monsters because of either you know they're 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 in better words to say they're they're shame they feel guilty for what they've done and because of that they they almost blame it on the camp itself that they had gone through that and because of that they use that as an excuse to join the monsters after they're gone after they're dead as a form of in a way just trying their best to make up for what they did so I think we can see that with Michael Verus and his way of, you know, joining the monsters as a way of making up for losing the eagle. Because it's it, the eagle seems to be the pride of every single legion and in the camp in general. And losing that is just, you know, beyond, or at least to Michael Verus, beyond of guilt, beyond of shame. So it's very fascinating to see what goes on through these demigods' heads because we can see that they're put through so much pain and pressure that it's granted, it's guaranteed almost that they're going to break. Some of them are going to break. And we can see it with examples such as, you know, Michael Verus that, you know, they, they, they realize that it would be better off if they helped the monsters. And you can see with the fact that he was immediately able to tell that it was Jason Grace. So in moments like that, I think that it's very fascinating to see how the mindset of a demigod works at points. But yeah, that is the end of chapters one through two for today. Next week, we will read chapter three and four. Now we will be moving on to our Q&A session. Uh, Once again, um, as per standard procedure, if I miss your name in the shout out, do please let me know and I will try my best to get you in the next episode Um, for questions. Again, once again, if I miss your question, I'll try my best to get into the next episode. However, I do want to add that disclaimer that if I am unable, if I don't answer your question, it may also be due to the reason that I, at the moment, feel uncomfortable asking it. That doesn't mean it's anything on you guys, but at the moment, I just don't feel comfortable answering it. Maybe in the future, hopefully, but at 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 as of right now, not yet. But. I appreciate all of the questions and shoutouts. Uh, so for shoutouts, we've got Aparna, uh, Venom, and Sophia Salmons-Smith. Thank you, guys. Now, moving on to our questions. Uh, number one, if you were Calypso, who would you want to date the most? Percy or Leo? I see, putting all bias aside, the clear bias that, you know, Leo was one of my favorite characters out of the seven. Logically speaking, based on their interactions, I think that it would be Leo. The reason is because when Percy and Calypso met, it was very... Uh, what, should, what should I say? Um, it was a very one-sided love. Because Calypso had loved... And I actually... I would like to put quotes on that, double quotes on that. Because I don't think it was necessarily love. 
I think that she just, you know, fell for his looks and how he was as a person as a whole. But it wasn't really that connection that you have between, you know, a person that you truly love. Sure, it may have been potentially a crush, and that lo- that that crush was so intense that it turned into a form of love. But I think that it just stayed that way. It wasn't really it wasn't really beyond that in terms of person. It wasn't deep in any form. When it came to Leo, however, that deepness, that depth was there in terms of connection and love wise. Which is why, personally, I think that Calypso. If I was Calypso. I would choose Leo because of that connection that we that we both had um, during our interactions and compared to Percy. And so, yeah. Uh, next question is, do you record an episode all in one take or do you take parts and edit them? Um, I try my best to record an episode in all in one take. Um, but if needed be, sometimes I'm uh, if needed be, I can take parts and edit them if necessary. Um, next question is, have you ever had someone walk in on a recording? Uh, not that I know of. Not really. I I don't believe so. Uh, unexpectedly, I don't believe so. Um, and do you, uh, do you have a microphone or do you use a separate device in order to record? Um, at the moment I have a separate device for recording. Um, but yeah, that's, 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 that's that. (laughs) Um, next question is, will you give your Patreon special privileges? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying for that. Uh, once again, I, I think I, as I said in previous episodes, I don't want to put a huge emphasis on my Patreon because I do know that at the moment there aren't any special privileges. So it's really a matter of general support. And I really do thank anybody that's, you know, willing to put in, um, you know, that it's completely optional, but if you do, then I truly thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I also still thank you from the bottom of my heart if you're even listening to this podcast, because that's also enough for me. So that's the reason why, you know, I, I have it as an option there. If you do wish to contribute, you may do so. And I, I'm i very thankful for that. I'm very grateful for that. But um, in other words, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, uh, what I have right now, and I will try my best if I ha- am am able to. I will try my best to give special privileges in the future if I'm able to come up with some that truly would make you know having that Patreon uh, a level up from the experience right now. Uh, next question is favorite part of House of Hades. Um, that's an interesting question. I'd probably have to say. Leo and Calypso's interaction. I think that just in general, their humor and their the the fact that it went from enemies to lovers within two to three chapters is insane. Like in a good way. It's like insanely like it's like insanely perfect how the transitions were so smooth, even if in even if it was in three chapters, which is that's what's crazy to me. But it was it was good. I really loved it. And I think that when you read the other chapters, it, the House of Hades is overall a very gloomy kind of mood, is what I got from it. Because you have Percy and Annabeth who are, you know, suffering and struggling throughout this entire thing while they're in Tartarus and losing people that they actually cared about, like Bob and Domison and Bob the Small Cat. And then you have the rest of the gang, you know, Frank, Hazel, Leo, Piper. Um, Jason and Nico, they're all, you know, they're all, I guess, on a better terms than Percy Annabeth, but it's still a lot of struggling and just gloom. So I think Leo and Calypso really gave us that break that we, that I think that we deserve, that we needed. Um, next question is, how would you feel if you were Hades or Pluto's child? See, I think, um, it really depends on the god. I think just being a child of a god in general is pressuring in of itself you know i if you know we we know that iconic first line first first thing from percy jackson and the lightning thief that if you think you're a half-blood don't you know just don't think about it you're not a half-blood just convince yourself you're immortal because it's not fun so i think that just being a child of a god in general is just really pressurizing and stressful in of itself so I think that it's just, it's very hard to lead a normal life. After all, you know, are you are the child of a god. But I think that specifically being the child of Hades or Pluto, it definitely, I don't think 
it would really change my mind about anything. I mean, I think my feelings would still say the same regardless. Uh, it's just, you know, I'm still the child of a god no matter what. I just have, I may have different abilities like how Hazel is able to summon, you know, rocks or any minerals. Uh, I believe it's minerals or stones from the ground. Uh, precious stones and you know nico is able to summon the dead so you know it, just like every other god you have some abilities but you know just i think the only cons would be you know just the stress of being a child of god uh next question is how are you doing and if you're just good then why are you just good uh it's yeah uh, I'm, I'm doing good and the reason why i'm doing good is because i was able to have this break and i really i think there's a, another question regarding my break but i, I I'm, I'm doing good because i think i've had a lot of time to rest and it was a good rest yeah uh next question is do you play an instrument uh i'm learning the violin at the moment and it's it's very fascinating i do i think i do really enjoy learning how to play it um maybe one day i can potentially demonstrate anything i've learned but at the moment it's 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 just you know basic work right now at the moment just doing my skills so yeah but it's it's fun i really do enjoy it i i love playing instruments i love trying instruments so we'll see how this one goes so yeah uh next question is what do you well what do you think uh are times when a character really broke their character interesting um I'd have to think about that one. I'd have to, I'd have to put a table on. I'd have to table that one and think about it because that's really hard. I mean, I I can't think of any at the top of my head at the moment. So interesting. Maybe I, I'll I'll try my best to answer it in a future episode. But that's a that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I think I I would also like to ask that back to you guys as well because I'd like to hear your thoughts. What were there any times that a character broke character, um, that you can think come up with, um because i can't at the moment so yeah uh next question uh do you like writing oh sorry do you have any of the pokemon games uh no i don't i'm just you know i just like pokemon in general just you know reading about the different pokemons uh next question is do you like writing stories or just reading them i like doing both i like writing stories and i do like reading them i think they're just you know it's just another world in of itself where you know you 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 can literally write about whatever you want your whatever your wherever your imagination takes you and you can put it all on paper so i think that's the beauty of writing and i think that is just it's it's wonderful um to do and to read them uh next question is if you could rename a weapon in heroes of olympus or percy jackson of olympians and olympians uh what would it be and what would you name it um let's see interesting uh i'd probably Hmm. I let's see. I don't know. I was think of let me think about it. Um let's see. Wow, this these these questions are these questions are really good. <laughs> um let's see. Uh, let's see, let's say, uh, I think, I think I would choose the Dracon bo- Bone Sword, and that Annabeth receives from Domison. um, I would probably rename it to Domison, just, just to, you know, just to commemorate Domison. I feel like that would be, that would be what I would want to rename it, I think it would be a really cool name to name it and it would be a great way to commemorate one of the you know greatest monsters that ever sacrificed their lives for Annabeth and Percy so I think that's what I would do uh next question is if you could pick one series to save uh which one would you choose to save and see and the other to cease to exist um the one I would save uh is probably heroes of olympus reason is because um and obviously cease to exist would be uh sorry percy jackson would i i would say and cease to exist would be heroes of olympus uh reason is because i think i've just you know um it's something that you know when i first started reading it uh it's something that was very familiar to me and there's a lot of you know moments in it that you know 
that I don't know. I think when I was reading it, I I kind of felt a little bit of a connection to. So I think that it was just um in my opinion, I would probably save that one. But that doesn't mean that both series are wonderful. Um great pieces of work by Rick Riordan and it's just it's it's wonderful. Um next question is what do you think was the hardest challenge our hero has ever faced? I would probably say if we're talking about Percy, it would be Tartarus. Tartarus was probably the hardest thing that facing Tartarus himself was probably the hardest thing in general because that was absolutely that was crazy. That was that was uh, a pandemonium if I should say of, you know, just a lot of stress, pressure, you know, just chaotic, chaos. And it was all, everything into one. And it was, you know, it would be very scary to be in, uh, a situation to be in. I think Tartarus, facing Tartarus was the hardest thing that Percy and Annabeth, but Percy as well, ever did. Um, next question is favorite food. Um... I like mac and cheese. Mac and cheese is my favorite food. Uh, next question is, how has your day been? Uh, it's been good. Uh, will you use this series as a Halloween costume? I am not sure. Probably to be determined. Uh, next question is, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, I don't, but I would love to learn. Uh, next question is, how long did it take for you to grow an audience? I don't I don't know if I should. I would give an estimate. And by audience, I, I, I was, I'm not sure you know, uh, to the point that I am now, I think it took, you know, easily a couple of years, you know, ever since I started to now, I'm still growing an audience, but I think that I'm just really, you know, when I first started out, I, I remember celebrating about having even 14 listeners, and it was such a huge achievement to me, and now we've grown from there to where we are now, and it's just, you know, just looking back on it, I, I think that I truly am grateful for all of my listeners and all the people that put their effort into just, you know, asking me questions or even asking me to shout their name out or even do or even contributing to my Patreon. It's all of this is really I think that, you know, sometimes I, I, I question, you know, how did I get such amazing fans? And I just want to say I really thank you guys. I mean, you guys are such nice individuals nice and wonderful individuals that i think that it's just it's amazing to see how much we've grown from here and i hope we continue to grow from here so thank you um next question uh what was your favorite part of the book um yeah uh, i think uh as i said before it was leo and calypso it was wonderful uh, absolutely you know just funny comedy a break from the gloom it was nice uh next question is how was your break it was good um as i was saying before i i think that it's very as i said before uh in the last episode it's very important to take care of ourselves uh, no matter how much we work and no matter how much you know work we uh, stuff uh, no matter how much effort we put into you know what we do on a daily basis it's also important that we take time to you know have fun, work with ourselves, get some rest. And I think that, you know, having that rest really uh, allowed me to open up a new, you know, fresh set of eyes. So I think that definitely I I had a great break. uh, And I thank you guys for understanding um, when I said I needed a break and I was going to take a break. And yeah, I'm, I'm back, you know, stronger and better and hopefully I'm I'll be able to produce even better episodes so yeah uh next question is are you going to read the chalice of the gods uh probably will be doing that uh since it is I believe what I what what I researched about it it's part of Parsi Jackson and the Olympian series and because we've already finished that series I'm uh I'm leaning towards doing it more at the end after I finish um potentially trials of Apollo maybe I'll read it after this book since there are quite a few amount of pages in this book there's i believe 500 pages um so it will take a while for us and by the time we finish i believe chalice of the gods will be done will be released by then so we'll just have to see but um if i do end up reading chalice of the gods at the end of the series and analyzing it i will let you guys know and yeah we can discover it together 
So yeah, that is the end of our Q&A session and our shout-out session. I hope you guys enjoyed this pod, this episode. And yeah, uh, next week we'll continue off with reading chapters 3 to 4. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.